0: A good job. That was for the worship team. I threw him a few curves. I'm <clears throat> just gonna jump right into Matthew 6, verse 9. The Lord's Prayers, we've come to call it, or the model prayers, I prefer to call it, out of the New Living Translation, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. We've already covered verses 9, 10, and 11. So today we're covering verse 12 and 13, and this is the last message in our series called Pray Like Jesus. If you missed the rest of it, sorry. Anyway, uh, no, it's online, so I'm just kidding. Um, so today we're talking about pardon and power, or forgive, forgiveness and God's leadership and God's deliverance in our life. And uh, so let me introduce this by simply giving you a couple of ideas. One is this. One, Jesus saved you to live in power, okay? He saved you to live an overwhelming victory, a victory. That's the purpose of the cross. That's why the cross was so expensive. It cost the life of God. Okay? So he bought that victory for you. But out of that victory that he wants for us, it starts with a thing called pardon, where we're forgiven of our sins. Okay? And as we are forgiven and set free of our guilt and shame, wrap your head around that. Forgiveness of sins is a release from guilt and shame. That's important to wrap your heart around. As you release the guilt and shame in your life, God prepares you to carry his power within you. You're made to be a vessel that carries the presence of God out into the world. And you're made to live, and you're saved to live in an overwhelming victory. Now, my thing, though, is I'm not a fan of objective victory. What I mean by that is I'm not a fan of just positionally believing I have a thing. Okay? It is one thing to positionally believe or objectively accept that I am a son of God. Okay? And that's where most of us kind of stop. We go, okay, well, I'm a son of God. And we try to believe that. Okay? And I think that is, is not a, a good way to go at faith because I believe in the whole purpose of the existence of a church called ordinary faith is that faith should have practical implications every day and that a real faith will produce a spiritual power in an ordinary life and an extraordinary God that's in you will produce extraordinary things in your life. Now I also would argue that not necessarily would those extraordinary things be solely to benefit you or even to benefit you but rather that an extraordinary God in your life is going to have extraordinary impacts on the world around you. That's the basis of our entire church's existence, okay? And so, <clears throat> so I believe faith is very practical. So when Jesus talks about overwhelming victory in Christ, for me, that's not just a head thing. That's not just like, I live, I'm defeated, I'm broke, uh, I'm at odds in my marriage and so forth, and I'm really miserable, but at least spiritually, I'm more than a conqueror, okay? Okay? If that's how you're living, that's not the Christian life. What has happened is that you have an enemy who started lying to you, and you believe his lies over God's word. If you want to get free of that, find out what God has to say about everything and start believing what God has to say over your experience, and you will change your life. So. Today, this really, this part of the message where Jesus talks about forgiveness and temptation and testing and about victory is about learning to live in victory and asking God for that. And living in victory really isn't that, that complicated. I almost said not that hard. It is, it is kind of hard. But it's really very simple. Living in victory is really just staying focused. D.L. Moody once shared an illustration, he shared it pretty often, I think, I gather from the stories I've read, where he would take a glass of water, I mean an empty glass, and he would stand in front of the people and and he would say to them, how do I get the air out of this glass? And, you know, people, you already know the ending because I gave it away in my intro. But still, you know, people are like, well, you pull the air out. Well, if you pull the air out, you create a vacuum and you crush the glass. That's not going to work, you know. And various ideas are distributed and none of them are going to work. And so finally he reaches under his pulpit and he grabs a pitcher of water and he fills the glass. And forces the air out with what he puts in, which is water. It's exactly how you force the failure, the shame, the guilt the losing out of your life you pour in something significant and the only thing of any real significance is Jesus Christ in this life so victory really isn't complicated it's not really even trying it's more about surrendering and being focused upon one thing and so Jesus last few phrases of his prayer by the way i think it's interesting in the lord's prayer that it starts out with your kingdom your will Your all these things. And then it moves into my. And that would be a good model for praying. God, what are your priorities? And then God, here are the things I need. This is modeled for us in the prayer. But basically what Jesus is doing in the last two verses of this prayer, as we have in Matthew 6, is he is putting us entirely on God and moving us entirely to God for what we need to live in actual victory. Okay? So today I'm going to talk about our debts. It may not be as fun. The first part will be great. The second part, not so much, you know. Our tests and that one may not be so fun either. But then we get to the last one, which is our deliverer, our victory, okay? So can you ride with me? It's Memorial Day. Can you do this? Can you stay awake this long? I mean, I'm going to talk three hours probably. Anything less than three, you'll be happy with now, right? See, I just managed your expectations. Just kidding. So let's start with our debts. Verse 12, Jesus says, teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now that second part of that phrase, as we have forgiven those who sin against us, I'm going to get to that, but let me start with forgive us our debts. Let's start there first, okay? We need to, and I know this may sound remedial to some of you guys, but we need to seek God for pardon of sin. Now, sounds simple, okay? But We're all human in the room. I don't see anybody that's not human in the room. And by nature of the fact that you're human, I'm going to assume that you're all like me and that we're kind of hard headed. Anybody else hard headed in the room? I mean, maybe, I mean, not about everything, but stop pointing at your husbands. I'm just kidding. Just teasing. But anyway, so here's the thing though. How many of you guys, you get sick and you try to get better before you go to the doctor? How many of you get fat? And you try and lose weight before you try and find someone to help you, like a trainer or something like that. And some of you are like me and going, I don't need a trainer. I just, this is a good shape for me. You settle, okay? A lot of people do that with God is my point. We try and get better before we get God. And that's driven by an assumption within us that somehow we can make ourselves more acceptable to him. That if we can clean up a little bit, then it'll be easier for God to take the big leap and clean up the rest. Okay? Well, here's the thing. You're never going to even get clean a little bit. Isaiah chapter 1 teaches us that our sins are like filthy rags before God. Our our righteousness, I'm sorry, is like filthy rags before God. That means that even when we try to do well, we can't ever do it out of a true motivation. We're always righteous. Really, it's always about us. We can't stop it being about us, and that's what taints a thing and makes it sinful. So what we need to learn to do for the first time and every time I want to repeat that. For the first time, if you have never come to a place of faith in God, you've never surrendered your life, you need to come to a place that the Bible calls repentance. And let me give you a couple of scriptures. Acts chapter 10, verse 43, second part of that verse says, everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And I want to connect that to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So the Bible introduces this concept in many, many places of repentance. Repentance is, and I'm sorry, I read the first verse I talked about is faith, and I need to clarify that. I'm sorry, I probably threw you for a curve. I like to do that just to see if you're paying attention. Faith. Faith is two sides of one coin. Faith is reaching for something, and faith is letting something go. The reaching part is we call belief. The letting go part we call repentance. Okay? If you're hanging on for your dear life, for your for your own life, like hanging from a rope or something from the side of a building, you're going to fall. And and one of these firemen or somebody comes up with a ladder, and they're ready to save you. But in order to be saved, you got to reach out, grab their hand, and let go of what's keeping you on the wall. Okay, that's that's how we we try and treat God kind of like that. In the way that we come to God, and we have this thing in our life that's wrong; it's hurting us. We have begun to define our identity by it. And in the Bible calls it a sin. It's something wrong. It's something in the place of God in our life. And so God comes along and says, hey, here I am. If you, if you confess to me, if you believe in me, I'll save you. And you're like, oh, that sounds good. And then you try and reach out for God. And this is why a lot of faith journeys fail. It's because they're trying to hang on to God with one part of their heart, but they haven't let go of the beloved sinful thing with the other part of their heart. And so now you're stuck in between the two. And that scenario doesn't end well for anybody, does it? I mean, you're gonna just go splat. So don't go splat, okay? Seek God for pardon. Now, don't get better to get saved. I got news for you: God can handle you just like you are, He loves you, and He wants to bring you into His life. Okay? So don't don't sweat that. But do turn to Him and do let go. This is very important. Now, I said first time and every time, if you've never come to faith in Christ. That's how you do it. You let go and you embrace. That's faith. But you believers in the house, sometimes you kind of get on a path. We kind of get on a path that's not good too. And we keep pushing down that path, thinking sooner or later it will turn out okay when all the time the Holy Spirit and our heart within us are screaming, this is not right. The quickest way out of trouble is to repent, let go, and embrace your Father. Does that make sense? We end up in trouble in our life. When we do, we need to acknowledge it and embrace Jesus. Okay? Now, cool thing is, God's an amazing father. He's, a, he's awesome. You guys ever read the story of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15? It's a cool story. Son wants his inheritance, the inheritance you get when your father dies. He wants it before dad's dead because he has plans. When I first... Uh, somewhere along the time I was reading that story, I had teenagers in my house. And I've had teenagers in my house for a long time. And uh, it, it took me a while to get to the point where I asked myself the question, why in the world would the father give the son the inheritance? Why would he do that? And actually, for years, I kind of avoided the issue. I'm like, man, that sounds like enabling to me. And I'm not sure why that the father did it. But Over the years, I've come to a a different place about it. I I realized something, and this this is what I realized. The father didn't have the son's heart. The son's heart was already on a path toward the pig pen. He was already going to ruin it. It wouldn't have mattered if he had had money to get there or not. He was going to get there. And so here's this father seeing in his son's heart the ruin that his son's heading to. Knows his son won't listen to him. Knows he can't get through to his son. So the quickest way to get to repentance is the fastest path for most people to the pig pen. I don't know where you're at today, but you might find yourself in a bit of a mess, maybe a pig pen. And I want you to know God didn't put you there. Do you understand that? God didn't do this to you. God let you get there. He did let you get there. Do you know why He let you get there? Because He couldn't get through to you any other way. There are some lessons that we refuse to learn until we have no choice. Does that make sense? Your father is awesome this way. Now I know you're sitting going, oh no, no, no. My father's not an enabler. He's not codependent upon you. I don't know if you know this or not, and I don't mean to be humbling or mean, but God doesn't actually need you. Did you know that He chooses to love you? He loves you like crazy because He chooses to you. There's nothing in you that your father looks and goes, "Ah, oh, that's cute. I gotta have that one." <laughs> that's not how this works. <clears throat> He chooses to love you, and that's awesome. And we'll talk about his unconditional love a little bit more in just a second. I just need you to understand that God's forgiveness is larger than anything you can imagine. The problem is not, okay, let me clarify that. It is a problem that there are sins in our life that we claim as our identity that we are consumed with. That is a problem, but that is not the ultimate problem. The problem is not the sin. The problem is that we refuse to admit that it's sin. That's the problem. That's why we stay trapped. The moment we can identify the problem in our life and see what it is and stand up and say, I have this problem, and then turn to God with it, confess it, and let it go, we are moving toward freedom. Okay? So our God is an amazing God in that way. There are all kinds of Bible illustrations about that. You know that guy in the Bible named Paul that wrote verses like, I can do all things through Christ? I mean, everybody knows that one. He wrote another one, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Do you know he also wrote one that said, I am the chiefest of sinners? Do you think he understood that he was a mess and needed help? He did, and God did enter his life and made him an amazing apostle that touched the entire world with the gospel. Every person who's a believer today is a person. Every person is, you know, in the, that's a believer today has been touched by the words of Paul in some way. David, he was a mess. He had an affair. He had murder going on. It was horrible. The prophet showed up in his life. David repented, and God forgave him. I could give you a cross example of Saul. When he was confronted with his sinfulness, he did not repent, and he lost everything. There are other cases. Uh, You could even go into Elijah. Elijah got really depressed. For some of you guys that deal with emotional struggles and discouragement. Elijah got really depressed and wanted to die. He got suicidal. But God showed up. God forgave Elijah. There's nothing in your life God can't forgive. Okay? If you'll just let go of it. Admit for what it is and turn to him. You can be free of it. Freedom is one act of repentance away. Forever. I don't care what it is. I have one qualifier I want to throw out. <clears throat> God's forgiveness. This, I don't, this, may not, this probably doesn't apply to like 99.9% of you and maybe no one here today, but just in case. God's forgiveness sets your spirit free from eternal consequences. But that does not mean that you are free from earthly consequences. I want to read you a quote. And I'm going to tell you who it's from when I'm done. It's about a paragraph long. I need you to bear with me. But you want to hear who this is from, so, so listen carefully, because I think it's amazing. <laughs> Excuse me. I know what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And I can understand that people in prison and out of prison can be skeptical But I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. He's done so much for me. I believe in him. And no matter what people say, I'm going to continue to serve him. I serve the Lord, ministering to the men here, doing Bible studies with the guys. I go into the chapel. I'm a chaplain's clerk now. And I preach the gospel even overseas through correspondence, testimony tracts, and so forth. So I know I'm living for Jesus. And no matter what man may say, I belong to him. I've been purchased by Jesus Christ with his blood. That's David Berkowitz, the son of Sam Killer. Found faith in Christ in prison. You should read his story. I don't have time to go through it. But God met him and changed him. He's still in prison, has no desire to get out. Well, he would get out, I'm sure. But he's not trying to. Right now, in fact, there is a, there's a tribal chief in, a, in an African country right now that they, he was instrumental in getting the gospel to, and that chief named his firstborn son after David Berkowitz. Not even trying to get out of his earthly responsibilities, but he's free. And the truth is that there are men and women in prison today behind bars who are not free physically, but they're more free than most of us, just because they've met Jesus Christ. So, God, excuse me, I've got a, <clears throat> sniffles today. I don't know. I think I'm allergic to someone here. <laughs> I almost called out a name, and then I just, <laughs> Kevin's trying to claim it. It's me. It's me. <clears throat> excuse me. Anyway, so now, I just want you to know God's forgiveness is big, and that's awesome, and it applies for you and it's for you. But Jesus puts a little caveat in the prayer. And it's not real fun to deal with, but we need to deal with it, and we need to see it for what it is. So Jesus says that we pray to ask God to forgive us as we forgive others. So I want you to pull that out and think about it for a minute. Do you understand what he's saying? To the degree that I forgive other people, that's the degree I enter into God's forgiveness. That's a sobering thought, is it not? Now, we don't like this verse. We don't talk about it real often. I love it when new, newer believers get a hold of this verse before they find a way to dismiss it. And they really struggle with it. Because this is a verse, there are a lot of scriptures that we need to struggle with. And this is one of those verses. What is God talking about I guess, can I be eternally eternally condemned because I don't forgive someone? Those are questions that could come up. So let me help you wrap your head around this. God loves you, amen? His love for you is unconditional. Do you understand that? It's unconditional. It doesn't matter if you accept him, if you enter into his salvation even. He still loves you. Now, that doesn't mean you won't be eternally condemned, He will love you and still you will experience eternal punishment. But his love for you is unconditional. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Nothing. However, relationship and unconditional love are different things. There's no such thing as an unconditional relationship, there's not. I know you may look at your spouse and go, I love you unconditionally. And that would, be tr- that would be great. You can love someone you're in relationship with unconditionally. However, if they don't enter into those responsibilities that come with a relationship, you're going to have a hard time relating to them, right? You go into a marriage. I watched a, a video on Messenger's uh, dot uh, com, dot net, I can't remember, it's John Bevere's channel, and it was a, It was kind of a, a joke, but it wasn't funny, and he talks about this couple, the video's like, this couple's gotten married, and they're out for dinner, and all of a sudden, she invites all of her old boyfriends to dinner, and, uh, you know, of course, he's freaking out, like, what, we got married, and, and she goes, oh, certainly, you don't expect that now that we're married, I would give up all of my old boyfriends, you know, and that's wrong, you're going to be in a healthy marital relationship, uh, you, if you don't know this, I'll just tell you, you've you got to give up your old boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever, okay? The whole point of the relationship is oneness, and it's entering into a an intimacy with one person. God is inviting you into an intimate relationship with him. Every relationship has conditions. In marriage, fidelity, trust, working with each other, helping each other out, Parents, I mean, if you as a parent do not accept the responsibility of caregiving, then you're not going to have a good parental relationship, now are you? Friends, I mean, come on. Who in the room has a couple of friends? Is it is it required that you have to help a friend move? Is that like in a document somewhere? This is why I keep my friend number low. When people ask me, hey, let's be friends, are you going to move in the next 12 months? That's my... I mean, I like you and all, but if you're moving, I don't think we can be friends until that move is over, you know? And if I come up to you going, hey, let's be friends, you should ask me, are you moving in the next 12 months? I'm just teasing. My point is every relationship has conditions, but rather than conditions, how we would better identify them as they are simply responsibilities. That's part of a healthy relationship. If you're going to be in relationship with God, it doesn't, his unconditional love for you never changes. But if you want to be in relationship with God, then that means you want to get close to him, you, you, you want to obey him, you want to move in those realms. So here's the issue of forgiveness that, you, that God brings out. Now, I, I, I tell you what, forgiveness is one of those things that is so critical in the Christian faith. I, I can't even begin to describe it, but I will try. <laughs> Matthew 18 tells a terrifying story. It's it's one of those passages I absolutely hate. (laughs) But in that story, Matthew 18, there's a guy who owes the king uh, a whole lot of money, or a householder, anyway. He owes him like an absurd, obscene amount of money. I mean, even more than you own your credit cards. He owes that, you know? He owes him this amount of money, and he he can't pay it. In that time and in that context, if you couldn't pay a debt, you went to debtor's prison, and you basically just stayed in jail because of your debts. You went to jail for indebtedness. Because that's a perfect picture of what indebtedness is, but that's another message. But anyway, so he went to jail for indebtedness, and so the king had, the guy just threw himself down, he asked for mercy, and so he got mercy, and the guy was like, free, unconditional love, and it, it, you know, you go to God with the things that are wrong, he takes them, they're forgiven. Well, the guy leaves the presence of the king, goes out, and sees this other guy who owes him a little bit, like 20 bucks, like for something last weekend or something, and the, and. Same scenario, though, indebtedness leads to prison, and so the guy doesn't have the money. He pleads with the guy over this insignificant amount, and the guy will not have mercy and throws the guy in jail. So let me look at uh, Matthew 18, verse 34. Here's what happened. Now, Jesus is teaching the story, and I'm reading out of the New American Standard this particular text. So, after the king, the Lord, found out what the guy had done, here's what happened. It says, And the Lord was moved with anger. His Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he was owed. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let me help you wrap your head around this. What Jesus is saying is this You've been forgiven much. uh, Paul broke this down a lot in Colossians and in Ephesians About all that we've been forgiven And how we should be such a forgiving people But in this story the guy didn't forgive And so Jesus says that the Lord Turned the guy who refused to forgive Over to the torturers Until the debt was paid in full So this is a little bit of opinion A lot of Bible study too But this is a Michael Maynard Bible, Bible sized opinion don't, it's not the word of God. It's just kind of an opinion. I think what Jesus is trying to teach us is, is that when we refuse to forgive, God allows the enemy to torment us in life. And I think that's why forgiveness, once it, unforgiveness, once it starts, gets worse and worse and worse. Because unforgiveness is always built on a lie. There's no truth in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is like, you owe me. Isn't that kind of what it says? Now let me ask you a question. Who actually owes you anything in this life? You know, my my kids owe me. No, No, your kids don't owe you. They were a stewardship given to you by their true father, God. They don't owe you. Nobody owes you anything. Unforgiveness is saying, you owe me and you need to pay up. That's a lie. Satan walks into that lie. And he begins to build bitterness around it and fear and all these kinds of things. And I'll tell you what happens. Without fail, I've witnessed it as a pastor and counseling. The enemy comes in, builds this trap around someone's life. And unforgiveness will control your life the rest of your life if you don't let it go. If you want to be free, forgive. I'm not saying... Just blanket forgive everybody, although there are cases that might be okay. I'm saying, if there's unforgiveness in your life, confront those that you have conflict against and get to a place where you can let it go. I don't think God will eternally condemn someone for being unforgiving. However, I do know that you will not live in kingdom power with bitterness in your heart. That is an impossibility. Does that make sense? You can say amen or oh me or nothing. Just sit there silent. I'll take us an amen today. This is important. I'm not trying to beat you up. This isn't guilt. My heart for you is freedom. Do you understand that? My heart for you is freedom. It's not walking out of here feeling like you did your penance on Sunday morning. Oh, I went to church. He made me feel bad. I'm good for the rest of the week. Please shovel that in a in a hole somewhere. That is not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to tell you that when you forgive someone, you are not releasing them from your debt. You are releasing you from your prison. Okay? Amen? All right. Good deal. So Jesus says, forgive us as we forgive our debtors I think my belief is that God does this because this is the quickest way to the pig pen, to the suffering. And that is the quickest place that we will come to our senses and realize that this is a wrong thing to do and will set us free. Jesus wanted us to live debt free. Jesus wanted us to live debt free. So how do we get there? Okay. Obviously, I've kind of given you the theological concept of it. But here, let me give you some practical tips on how to let go of bitterness in your life and unforgiveness. First, attack it with love. Attack it with love. I had an incident that happened in my life. It happened when I was very young. And I'll just give you a free tidbit, like a counseling freebie. If you remember something that hurts that happened to you in your heart from like four or five years old, that was a life changer for you, and you need to take Jesus to that moment so you can get healed, okay? So, I had a moment happen. I was probably four years old, and I didn't realize until about five or six years ago, maybe not even that long ago, that it was shaping my life. That because of that moment, I felt like I was always in trouble with people. When you feel like you're always in trouble, that's an insecurity. An insecurity is a fear. Fear is the worst way in the world to live. So, here's what I did. I said, first of all, a lot of times I don't know what to do. So I asked God, God, what do I do? And he said, love. I said, that doesn't help much. I don't know how to do that. He says, it's okay. I'm in you, and I know how to do that. I said, okay, sweet. So we went to that moment. I took my mind to the place that, her, that the pain happened. And I said, okay, Jesus, love here. And he did. Here's what happened in my case. I saw the person who had attacked me, done the thing that they had done. I don't want to go into the details. And I realized that they were young and immature themselves. I realized they were also afraid as it, of failing in the task that they had. And I began to see, because I was very intimately connected with the situation, the many forces that were driving the behavior of the person I was talking to. And and as love came into it, I entered into a place of comprehension, of compassion. I began to see that there was so much more in that moment than just my pain. And up to that moment, that's all I could see was my pain. But as Jesus took me there, he showed me there was a lot of pain in this story. And it brought me to a place of compassion, and I was able to love. You know, the Bible says in 1 John that love drives out fear. And the older I get, and the more I study his word, the more I realize the absolutely Ruthless, compassionate Can you put those two words together? Ruthless, compassionate love of God This love came into my life and it brought me to a place where I could love the person that hurt me and when that happened it set me free I still struggle with feelings of feeling like I'm in trouble but I do get in trouble quite a bit on my own accord but now I know what it is I know what it is now And when I begin to panic and freak out in here, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, right? And now I can see. I'm starting to feel like this thing. Now this thing is loaded with love, not fear. And now I can see so much more. Love is the first step. Repentance is the second. It's so easy for us to be critical of others, to judge people. It's so easy for us to hold people to expectations that we never actually inform them about. I don't know if you heard that, but you really needed to. It's probably the number one strain on your marriage is that you both have expectations, but nobody's telling the other person what they are. Mind reading is not a requirement. It's not any ceremonies I do to love, honor, cherish, and read her mind. I'm getting to him... My wife's over here, or his. <laughs> Men's minds are pretty simple. <laughs> Feed the guy and other things. <clears throat> Look at me keeping church G, I'm telling you. Good job. The point is there are times in our life that we created a problem. When you, when you experience guilt and shame over a problem that you created, The answer is just repentance, not wallowing in guilt and shame. You know you can't do penance with God, right? Maybe you don't know that. So here, let me help you out. You cannot make up for the wrong things that you've done in this life, guys. It can't be done. And you may have made horrible mistakes that have impacted lots of other people. You can't make up for that. You can only start today... And do the right thing. That's all you can do. A lot of times the right thing will erase what needed to be made up for, but you can never make up for the past. That's why you should immediately go to God. Don't try and make it up to Him. Don't try and do penance. Just say, God, I was wrong. Know that you were wrong. And God, I confess, I turn it over to you and let go of the guilt and shame. If you are sitting here this morning living in a continual state of guilt and shame, that is not the way of faith. That is not the Christian life. I say it again, and I know most of you got it from someone like me making you feel guilty and shameful, but I need you to understand this is not what God has for you. God overwhelms guilt and shame with forgiveness and love and righteousness you see, grace isn't just about pardon, it's about power. That means that God forgives our sin and then empowers us to do the right thing going forward. That's why we need to hit repentance so fast. Because as soon as we get to a place where we realize, God, this is the wrong thing in my life, we open ourselves up to a place where His grace empowers us to leave the wrong thing. So, yeah, it's forgiveness is amazing, we can let go of that bitterness through love, through repentance, through humility, simply realizing I'm not all that I think I am and knowing that he is all that I think he is and much, much more, okay? So I gotta move on. Our Wow, man, I really developed that point. I have to go quick now, sorry. <clears throat> our, our, now I wanna move into our tests or our temptations. Jesus said in verse 13, don't let us yield to temptation. And I must confess, that is my favorite translation of the Lord's Prayer. The older translations st- stated, Lord, lead us not into temptation. And, and the reason that that's not my favorite translation of that is because of James. And so I'd like to read you a, a, a long selection of James, give you a little instruction here. James chapter 1, verse 12 says this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation." Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Okay? So God doesn't tempt you. Verse 14 says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. My point is simply this. When we pray, God, don't lead us into temptation or don't let us yield to temptation. Temptation's going to come. God might let us get into a situation so we realize the desires of our heart, that he's letting those float to the surface so we can see them. I just want you to understand, this isn't God's fault. God didn't do this, okay? God doesn't, God doesn't bring us to temptation. Temptations, I mean, we have desires in us that these temptations reveal, so how Jesus says, pray that you, are, you don't yield to those kind of things, that you overcome temptation. So let me say this. Temptation is not something you can overcome on your own. I think you need help. Human nature, I mean, we're, we're, I heard a preacher say it this way one time. Um, we want to be delivered from temptation, but we'd like it to stay in touch. Maybe it could leave a forwarding number just in case. Down south, they have this thing called uh, alligator turtles. They're big. Any of you guys ever noodle in the house? Any noodlers? Andy, you ever noodle? Because those people are crazy. Insane. Alligator turtles, get, they get big. And they have this appendage on the end of their tongue It looks like a worm. So they'll lay at the bottom of a pond or lake or whatever. Some hungry fish will come by. See that worm coming out? and They think, oh, man, it's lunchtime. And it is lunchtime, just not for the fish. The alligator turtle is about to have lunch. We need to see temptation for what it is. Temptation is something in our life that's not going to make it better. It's not going to ease the pressure. It's not going to make your life better. When we are tempted to do something that we know is not right, that God says is not right, we need to see it for what it is. It's an attack. It's a trap. And so we need to know that. We need God to help us see that. We also need to not entertain temptation. It's like uh, the husband and wife, they're in the mall. Not this husband and wife, another one altogether, okay? Because I'm going to make him look bad. I don't want to make me look bad. (laughs) Husband and wife in a mall, sent at a kiosk. A woman walks by in a tight-fitting dress, and the husband looks after her. The wife says, I hope that was worth the trouble you're in. (laughs) Don't entertain temptation. Anybody ever watch Hee Haw? Any Hee Haw Oh, thank God, some save, some save people up in the house. Doc Campbell's in a, one of the skits. He Haw was a country music show and a, you know, did a lot of skits and comedy. Doc Campbell's standing there with this big, goofy-looking thing on his head, and this guy comes in in his arm. He says, Doc, my arm's broken in two places. Doc Campbell's answer is, well, I'd stay out of them places. <laughs> Temptation's one of those things we need to flee from, run away from, stay away from in our life. If you know something, my point is this if you know something tempts you in your life, don't go there. Turn off the computer. Go outside. Shut down the game. Stop shopping for it. Wh- whatever it is, whatever you're, whatever's bringing you down, change the scenario. We're so good at getting distracted from God, we need to learn to get distracted from sin. And that's not hard to do. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God's faithful. He'll not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. James says this, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I think one of the most important things to do if you're dealing with a temptation in your life is to realize that the reason the temptation is there is because you have a desire, and so you're obsessing about the desire. So get distracted from the desire. How do you do that? Worship music is amazing. Maybe that. Maybe you don't sing, but but I do. Or even if you just can play the radio, that works too. You know. Um, Prayer is powerful. I have some Christian friends. You know, I start texting them and create this sarcastic text ring and violence back and forth, and that helps. You know, you're like doesn't sound very Christian of you. I know, but I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm, and so I have to use it somewhere. So my friends in my life, think about the cross. Think about how much it cost for you to be free. Think about Jesus Christ. Think about the resurrection. Think about the victory that comes. You know, you know, uh, it is a great feeling to overcome temptation. D- do you know that? It is euphoric to not fall for the enemy's trap. And it really speaks into your relationship with God. In fact, a lot of times we feel like we're distanced from God because of the sin in our life. God's love for us is still unconditional. And we are distancing ourselves by our own desires. If we could let go of those, back to that repentance thing, release them, and just refocus on Jesus Christ, we could be free. So we need to pray. Pray for our forgiveness. Pray about our tests. Bring those to God. And then lastly, we need to pray because God is our deliverer. Yeah. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is in 2nd Chronicles chapter 20. <clears throat> it's the story of Jehoshaphat. I know it sounds like a funny name, but still, you know, it's his name. So what happened was the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, actually, the kingdom had already split. So they were in the south, the southern kingdom of Judah. All of their enemies. Now, the funny thing is, all their enemies were people that God had told them to spare on their way to the Canaan land. So, Ammon, the Moabites, all these surrounding neighbors had gotten together, formed their own army to destroy the nation of Judah. And the nation of Judah was weak. When Jehoshaphat took the kingdom, it, his father didn't, was not a God follower, and it was a mess. And so all these enemies are coming in. And the army, according to the New Living Translation, is a million men strong. This is a big army. And and Judah has no hope of putting together any kind of army, even a fraction of that size. And so they're on the borders of the land, a million man army. They're getting ready to come in. Jehoshaphat's a, a God follower. So he turns to the people and says, let's start praying and let's start fasting and let's see what God can do. And so they start praying. And then the Holy Spirit of God comes upon this young man. He stands up. He's the son of, he's a great, great, great grandson of Asaph, the guy who wrote many of the Psalms. And In in the book of Psalms. And so he stands up and a a prophetic word out of this guy's mouth. And he says, this is what's going to happen. I want you to go out there and I want you to stand. But you're not going to have to fight. You're not going to have to do anything. I just want you to stand there in my name. Pause. What would you do? Have you ever thought about that? What would you do if you're praying about a problem And someone stood up and said, the Lord's telling me that what we should do is this. We should just stand here and let God fight the battle. I think I'd have said, thank you. Is there another option? Does anyone have a nuke? A bazooka, a shotgun, anything. To his credit, Jehoshaphat took that as a word from God. There's so many lessons in that story. There are people who've spoken words of encouragement into your life about what was going, what God was going to do and what you were going to be and they're there and you haven't stepped into them. They're just kind of hanging out there. Jehoshaphat stepped out into this word. He said, all right, and here's what they did. This is one of the coolest stories. Everyone got together and they went out to the field of battle, just all these people, That I mean, just like this really fractional army. Nothing. It was really just a worship service because that's what it turned into. They went out there. I don't even think they had weapons. They went out and and they had the promise. God says, I'm going to fight this. You're not going to lift a finger. And so you know what they did? They said, well, there's nothing else we can do. We can't fight. All we can do is stand here. Let's just start praising God. So they did. So here's this Handful of people, I don't know, a few thousand maybe, standing there singing and praising God. And as they're praising God, here's what happens. This million-man army starts to fight itself. Within a few hours, a half a million of them are dead, laying on the ground, and the other half a million are running for their lives. And all Judah's doing, all the nation of Judah's doing is standing there singing praises to God. They didn't lift a single finger. God spoke, and God honored his word. And all God's people did was step out into the word God had given. That was all they did. That is exactly the kind of victory God has for you in your life. He will fight your battles. You are an overcomer not because you're big and bad and smart and you resist temptation. You're an overcomer because the overcomer lives in you and he can overcome. That's what we need to honor. That's what we need to step into. There are things in your life that are ripping your life apart. You keep reacting to situations the same way, hurting people the same way, getting hurt the same way. Because you keep trying to fix these problems. You keep trying to be Jesus to you. Well, you can never be Jesus to you. You didn't die for you. You didn't raise again for you. Jesus did all of that. It's complete. And he lives in you. Stop turning to you. (laughs) I know that flies in the face of modern pop culture. (laughs) Look inside yourself for the strength. If you're going to look inside yourself, you need to realize that you are the temple of God and what's inside you is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Then it's okay. You have a deliverer. You don't have to live in defeat. There is no, I know this is hard to believe for some, there is no situation beyond the miraculous power of God. Model prayer simply turns us to the only place where all of that is true. It's in God. It's in His Son, Christ. It's in His Spirit, the power of God. As we turn to Him and realize, I can't be Jesus to me. I need a deliverer. I need forgiveness. I need to be forgiven. I I don't have the power to do any of those things. You know, it's okay to admit that. You need to admit that. And then as you enter into that, realizing of all that I can't, realize that all I have been saved to be. Many of you, if I were to say right now, I'd say, guys, you know you're in Christ, right? And, and you would probably nod your head. Yeah, I'm in Christ. I intellectually, objectively accept that. So I want to give you a little lesson. If you are in Christ, so are your circumstances. Do You understand that? So are the circumstances in your life. Everything that impacts your life that happens to you, that's in him as well. And you've got to understand, you can never be separated from the love of God, right? Romans chapter 8. You can never be separated from the love of God. And you also need to understand that your circumstances can never be separated from the power of God. Why? What's the common denominator? Christ in you, the hope of glory. He changes everything. Now, I know you're probably sitting there going, man, this guy, he makes a lot about Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. All of our heroes that we put on pedestals, I, I get a new lesson of it almost every month now. Bill Hybels went down this week. Paige Patterson, I, I grew up Southern Baptist a couple weeks ago. We keep putting these guys on these big pedestals thinking they're really something. They're just, they're just guys. That's what we always forget. They're just guys. The only game changer is Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Let go of everything that's not him. Your life will change. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We don't deserve, we don't deserve this model prayer. We don't deserve for Jesus to just straight up teach us how to pray. We are honored to receive this word from him. And, Lord, I ask you for all of us, some struggling in the area of forgiveness, some with temptations, some in relationships. I I don't even know all the problems, some with health. I pray, Lord, as as we come to the season of prayer and we finish up on this last worship song where we will declare our, our desire and our heart to follow Jesus I pray that you will move us out of this fear and out of this aloneness and out of this trying to do it myself and do it my own way into I trust you. I follow you. I, I obey you because you love me and you've cleansed me and I, I, I just can't get over the price you paid to forgive us and I can't help but think how much... You enjoy using that forgiveness. I pray that you would help your children walk close to you, let go of what's hurting them, and come to faith in Jesus. We're about to sing a worship song. and I just want you to know i got folks on my right and on my left that are ready to pray with people. They're not there yet, but they will be by the time I get situated. And if you need to pray with someone, if you would like to, pray with someone while we sing this worship song or at the end they will be there. Please come forward and don't leave the place captive to something.